Hey there, it's me, your friendly neighborhood podcast host. This is a bit different of a podcast intro than you would normally hear from me, and there's a reason for that. I recorded tonight's episode, and it is now 1 a.m., and as I was going back and just listening through the episode to make sure nothing was going wrong, it looked like the file at the beginning was more or less corrupted. Uh, kind of wiped out the intro in the first minute to 90 seconds of the podcast or so. So rather than re-recording that and trying to fit it in with what we're doing, I'm just throwing it to you just like this. The Packers lost against the Seahawks tonight. We're just going to dive straight into the discussion here. Sound good? Good. Thank you for listening and thank you for your patience. Blue 58! How did we get here? What happened tonight? Well, the Packers lost 20 to 27 to 24, but more to the point, Aaron Rodgers blew it on a few key plays and one key series. The Packers couldn't stop what they knew was coming. They also ran out of healthy bodies, and then they made a couple questionable late decisions. Why did it happen? Why did these things happen? Well, to that first point, Aaron Rodgers kind of had a sneaky bad game until he started having an openly bad game. Where this really comes to the fore is third downs, particularly third downs in the second half. Here's a list of third down plays that the Packers ran in the second half and what happened on them. A third and four. The Packers get a free play off a 12-man on the field call by the Seahawks. On a third and seven, uh, a pass falls incomplete on a deep shot to Devontae Adams. On third and 10, Aaron Rodgers is sacked. On the next third down, a third and three. After a timeout, Aaron Rodgers is sacked. On a third and nine, they make a deep shot to Devontae Adams, and he comes up with a big gain. On third and five, Aaron Rodgers is sacked. And on third and two, the final third down for the Packers of the game, he bounces a pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, after which the Packers punted and the Seahawks never gave the ball back. So, A bunch of sacks there, a couple unnecessary incomplete passes, and two reasonably good plays. Uh, The deep shot to Adams in particular, a great play there. Those last two plays in particular, though, the third and five sack and the third and two bounce pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, came in a pretty horrendous sequence for Rodgers to end the game. The last four Packers plays go like this. They have a third and five relatively deep in Seattle's territory, just over eight minutes left in the game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has Aaron Jones open near the first down line, or at least an opportunity to check and let him see what he can do. But he tries to scramble and he gets sacked. Seattle goes down and scores after the Packers just kick a field goal. Seattle 24. After after looking at Jones and then deciding not to throw it to him, Marquez Valdez kind of works his way upfield. At this point, Rodgers and the game is centered. Rodgers said after the game was tipped that no, it just kind of stuck in his hand. Just a thing that very rarely, he said if he threw the pass again a hundred times, it would never happen again. But it happened there and it kind of lost the Packers the game because the Packers decided to punt. Not entirely unreasonable. We'll dive into that here in a second. Bottom line is Rodgers failed to execute when the Packers needed it the most, especially on third downs and especially on that last drive where the Packers had the ball. In addition, the Seahawks really saw Aaron Rodgers coming a mile away. They know that Aaron Rodgers likes to step up in the pocket and scramble when the play kind of breaks down. And time and time again, they waited for him to run on third downs trying to beat man coverage, and he essentially ran right to them. Rodgers killed the Packers' chances with those plays. It was a bad night from Rodgers. 
He's not alone in having a bad night. Mike McCarthy had some issues that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But Rodgers did not play well, and it cost the Packers big tonight. Second, everyone in the world knew that Seattle wanted to run, except the Packers, or even if they knew they were not able to stop it. What bothers me here so much is not that the Packers gave up yards on the ground. I think that was bound to happen because that's what the Seahawks are good at. That's where they've succeeded on offense this year. But it's how. Right up the middle. Up the middle with Carson. Up the middle with Davis. Up the middle with Penny. And finally, after setting it up all game long, Russell Wilson finally pulls it on a read option when the Seahawks only need two first downs on their final drive to win the game. It was a second and sixth play, even slid to stay in bounds, just a perfect call and perfect execution by Wilson, who had been very up and down throughout the game at just the perfect time. The Seahawks ran what the Packers knew they would run, and the Packers just couldn't stop it when it counted. There's a reason, in part, that the Packers struggled against the run, I think. Um, At least in part, it's because of injuries. And let's not pretend like injuries can't be a factor in a loss. I've heard NFL analysts within and without the Packers community say, well, injuries can't be an excuse. Can't they? Let's just look at the injuries the Packers dealt with this week. Coming in on a short week, they just played a game four days ago or three days ago, whatever it is. They came in missing Randall Cobb, Kevin King, Nick Perry, and Kentrell Bryce, four starters Three on defense, one on offense. One, I might add, in Nick Perry, who is very good against the run. And then during the game, the Packers lost Jimmy Graham, Bashad Breland, Raven Green, and Mike Daniels. Two more starters and two other guys who started in place of regular starters. Pretending like your team can be good enough or must be good enough to overcome that amount of injury all at once is just kind of silly. That's 15% of your 53-man roster. And if you take, you know, a punter, a kicker, and a long snapper out of that equation, too, you're up to 11 guys, like 20% of your active roster. Overcoming that amount of, of injuries or that, that injuries to that magnitude in the course of a single game is a tall order. And I think injuries can be an excuse there. Just look again at the, the run defense. Nick Perry and Mike Daniels are big against the run for the Packers. They're not out there. It's a lot harder for the Packers to stop the run. And the Seahawks ran right up the middle. Mike Daniels' domain against the Packers, especially in the second half. Injuries were a factor. This is what happens in Thursday night football. Finally, there were two key decisions that look a lot worse than they did at the time, I think, in hindsight. You've got the decisive Seattle drive in which the Packers have a non-challenge, and you've got the decision not to go for it on fourth and two on the Packers' final drive. Let's look at the challenge first. The fourth play of Seattle's last real drive of the game, Tyler Lockett runs kind of a deep-ish corner route, lays out for the ball, and it looks after the third or fourth replay, like it may have come loose when he hit the ground. McCarthy only has one timeout left, so he decides not to challenge. The Seahawks go on to score and, of course, win the game. Really wouldn't have hurt to challenge that one. I don't think. he. We already saw a borderline catch go the other way 
earlier in the game, be reviewed, that is. But McCarthy wants to hold on to that timeout. And Buck and Aikman, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, in case you're not familiar, probably rightly kind of speculated that McCarthy really was hoping he could hang on to that timeout either for when the Packers got the ball back or just later in the game for some for some reason. Only had the one left. Why did the Packers only have one timeout left? Well, in part, it's because they couldn't get organized and had to call one right after that big third and nine completion to Devontae Adams on the previous drive, that big 51-yard catch by Adams. Packers had to call a timeout after that for some reason. They couldn't get to the line. They couldn't get it figured out, and they had to waste a timeout there. That timeout would have been real good to have later in the game, (laughs) the very next drive when you need to challenge a play. Instead, McCarthy decides not to challenge, and the Seahawks go on to score. Now, this isn't saying that the play would even have been overturned, but the Packers didn't even give themselves the opportunity there. And not giving them an opportunity to do something that could benefit the benefit them in the short term seems like a pretty pretty Mike McCarthy decision. Just an obvious thing the Packers could do that would benefit their team. That's frustrating to see. Then, on the Packers' final drive, they're facing a fourth and two, and they never get the ball back when they decide to not go for it. They punt the ball. Four minutes and change left. Four minutes, 11 seconds when Seattle takes over, and they never get the ball back. You can see the thinking here. Essentially, you're choosing between two things. Your offense is either going to get a first down or they're going to fail and you're going to lose as a result of that. Or you're hoping your defense can get a stop and your offense can get the ball back and go down and do what they're going to do. Or they're not going to get a stop and you're going to lose. Choosing each option and having that, or choosing either option and having the option fall through essentially loses the game for you. It's over. On paper, with over four minutes left, the call to punt does make some sense. But I would rather bet on my offense, even with Aaron Rodgers struggling a little bit, than the defense. The defense has been better this year. True. But bear in mind that the Seahawks had moved the ball very well on their previous two drives, and in fact had scored 10 points on their previous two drives. If you're going to have low confidence in your defense at any point, a must-stop situation late in the game when they haven't stopped the Seahawks the previous two drives seems like a pretty reasonable time to lack some confidence in your defense and bet on your offense instead. I think the Packers should have gone for it there, and it was a little bit surprising to see the Packers not go for it there especially as aggressive as McCarthy has been in some of those situations earlier this year. I mean, last week he faked a punt with the Packers up like 14 points when they didn't need it at all. He just got really aggressive randomly and ran the fake punt to Raven Green. This week, with an opportunity to keep the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, or for that matter, Aaron Jones' hands, he decided to to punt on it, literally. And the Packers lost as a result. That's the sort of play that gets people to want to run you out of town. Not that Mike McCarthy has been short in that situation over the last few weeks, but 
I don't want to turn this into a fire McCarthy thing or not, but these are the sorts of things that do kind of get you fired. Some random thoughts and or observations. Aaron Rod- or Aaron Jones rather had a pretty wonderful game, but two of his touchdowns, for all the criticism of McCarthy as a play caller and designer, really had beautiful designs. That touchdown run, the, the, the toss sweep to the outside, really beautifully put together. Nice design to pull out uh, Byron Bell and Brian Bulaga. And they're only able to pull on that play to their right because Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown block down on the defense hard, and they're able to do it because of the size that they have. Cool to see and very well executed. Then on Jones' touchdown catch, he ran an actual like wide receiver route out of the backfield, not just a little check down flare or you know, run straight through the line, then turn around and wait for Aaron Rodgers to ignore you. Um an actual honest-to-goodness route out of the backfield that resulted in a touchdown for the Packers. Really cool to see. So that those are two two pretty pretty interesting plays for Jones, and really exciting night for him goes by the boards, but can't have everything, I guess. Uh, early in the game, I wrote in my notebook on the Packers' second drive, quote, having field goal flashbacks when they were moving the ball well, but then they stalled out and were going to have to attempt a field goal. Well, Mason Crosby missed that field goal, and three points would have been awfully handy later in the game. Uh, Boy, Crosby, I think, outside of the Detroit game has by and large been pretty solid, but his misses outside of that Detroit game have been very costly. Uh, He missed that 52-yarder against the Vikings that would have won the game for the Packers, and then this Seattle miss looks pretty huge for him as well. So um, I don't know what you do with Mason Crosby long-term, uh, Joe Buck certainly doesn't seem to like him. I don't know if Mason Crosby did something to him in a game of golf, took some money from him or something. I don't know. But Joe Buck always seems to go back to the, well, it just doesn't seem like Mason Crosby is very good when he wants to talk about Packers kickers. Speaking of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I don't think they're bad. I just don't think they're for me. And I don't like how it's become super fashionable now to really defend Buck against any and all criticism. Yes, he's good. He wouldn't be doing the Thursday night games, the baseball games, Fox's game of the week, all that stuff if he wasn't good at what he does. But you can still have legitimate criticisms for against him. You can still say, I just don't really enjoy listening to him call games. He falls on some really annoying practices sometimes. For instance... And I hesitate to point this out because you're never going to get out of your head, but just listen to how often he says wide open or some variation of that. Guys aren't wide open as often as Joe Buck says they are. It's just a crutch phrase that he falls on, and it's kind of an annoying one because these guys aren't wide open. To that point, he gets basic things wrong, like quarterback rating. There is no such stat other than ESPN's proprietary QBR There is no stat called quarterback rating. There is a stat called passer rating, and calling that stat quarterback rating is something that's done pretty commonly, but it's wrong. That's not what it's called, and Buck consistently gets that wrong. He also gets stuck on narratives. Early in this game, Russell Wilson was not particularly sharp, but Buck will hop on something like that and see anything that Joe or that uh, somebody does as evidence of that narrative. In this case with Wilson, he rightly pointed out that Wilson was strong. 
There was a throw in the end zone where throw it high for Doug Baldwin, and Baldwin just couldn't quite get to it, and thus it fell incomplete. High again, looks like he's just here. Has to walk it. Oh, this one, just look where they couldn't really throw it. He kind of just had to throw it up. Buck wasn't really shaken off his point, and they had to move on discuss it any further but that's that's a that's a miss by buck he's not really seeing what's happening on the field and when you get into conflict with your color man like that it undermines the quality of your broadcast that i i think those are all fair criticisms of buck to say he is because he is for blah blah, blah but you size him and pretending like he is somehow above criticism because people hate him for unreasonable reasons is dumb and I would prefer if we stopped doing it. Troy Aikman, though. I don't have a lot of defense for Troy Aikman. He's just kind of a rambler. Uh, a direct quote from him tonight, quote, Frank Clark is built like a bull in a china closet. I don't have any idea what that means. I think I know what he's getting at. But why go that route? I don't know. Um, and then he made kind of a really inane point about the Packers needing to take extensive preparation for changing their hand signals and stuff because Brett Hundley, quote-unquote, left the team. Well, he didn't leave, Troy. He was traded. That was kind of a big, big storyline there. And then the time between Hundley getting traded and now is like six eternities in NFL time. That's more than 11 weeks of football time has passed. Anything the Packers are doing with those basic hand signals and stuff, has changed like 18 times between when Hundley was traded and now. I mean, Jim Ozarski for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did a great piece about how often the Packers are changing their hand signals, their dummy calls, their stuff like that. And it's week to week, often multiple times per week, that Aaron Rodgers is installing different hand signals and stuff between himself and the wide receivers. The idea that Hundley, three months later, could be giving away those hand signals to the Seattle defense is kind of ridiculous and it certainly didn't seem to really slow down the receivers and Rodgers tonight if anybody was slowing down Rodgers it was Rodgers himself it wasn't because Hundley was giving away hand signals so Aikman not a big fan there uh it was cool to hear some go pack go chants on third downs where are you 12s where are you I I thought this was a loud stadium with uh tons and tons of diehard fans no guess not uh, Antonio Morrison had a pretty pretty solid game, seemed to at least. I would have to go back and look at it again because there there were times when Seattle was getting a lot going up the middle. But boy, he hits hard. Uh, and there was one time when it even seemed like he got a warning from a ref at one point after a particularly hard hit. He had two back to back, and the second one uh, sparked an additional conversation from the White Hat. Um, so that was interesting to see. Um, I think the book on Morrison has been completely true for the duration of his time in Green Bay. Athletically a little bit limited, going to hit like a freight train. He'll be solid against the run, but he won't give you anything in the passing game. That's been pretty much true. Uh, He's been useful to the extent that he can do the things that he's good at and completely useless outside of that. Uh, And I think we saw a little bit of that tonight. Uh, More the good side than the bad. Trevor Davis, first time he played, 
he has played this year. Got some burn tonight. Good to have him back, I think. Maybe just perception on my part, but it feels different having him back on punt and kick returns than anybody else the Packers have had this year. It just feels like they have a chance for making something happen when he has the ball in his hand. And he did make something happen, and then there was kind of a bogus holding call, and it all got wiped away. Sooner or later, the Packers are going to have a good special teams play that doesn't get called back. Uh, Davis also had one of two special teams tackles tonight. He was uh, performing as a gunner on the punt team. Uh, had a got tackle on the kick return or kick cover team uh, as well. Uh, so I guess we're going to see the end of Jamon Moore in some of those situations, particularly on punt coverage, which is not a particularly bad thing. Uh, Davis is a good gunner, so good to have him back. Speaking of special teams, uh, former practice squad player and kind of just generally long-suffering individual, Will Redmond got into his first NFL game tonight and promptly got flagged for holding on a punt return. Not great. Tight ends, far down the depth chart, had an interesting night tonight. That play to Robert Tanyan at the start of the game was surely exciting and one that he'll remember forever. That's about as exciting a way as you can catch your first NFL touchdown pass, I would imagine. Pretty cool play there. Uh, But the other interesting play involving a farther down the depth chart tight end was uh, after Jimmy Graham had made his way out of the game with whatever's going on with him, um... I suspect the uh, the film, when it gets reviewed, of Graham's injury is going to be frustrating to many people because it looked like he may have hurt his thumb cracking it against somebody's face mask in a little bit of a scuffle after the play, which is bad. Um, but after Graham had left the game, Mercedes Lewis comes in, and they actually motion Lewis from tight to split out wide on one particular play, which is kind of hilarious to see. It's almost as bad as when the the Packers would do that with Richard Rodgers. It's a little bit more respectable with Mercedes Lewis, but still, you're not fooling anybody there. He's he's no kind of deep threat, and you're not going to run a fade route in the middle of the field. Shouldn't run a fade route ever, but uh, Mercedes Lewis is no kind of outside threat. Finally, we should send it off on a high note here. Talk about Kyler Fackrell. Just what a wild night. Three sacks, four tackles for loss, would have had a pass defense if Russell Wilson hadn't caught his deflection uh, stupidly. So I guess it's better that Wilson didn't knock it down or avoid catching it because uh, it actually hurt the Seahawks more than just getting Wilson or Wilson, excuse me, Fackrell that extra line in his stat sheet. Um, but the most impressive play of the night for Kyler Fackrell happened early in the game. The uh, Seahawks ran a little jet sweep type thing to Tyler Lockett, and he was setting up to throw the ball back to Russell Wilson, but he turns his back and begins his throwing motion, and who does he see guarding Russell Wilson? Yes, it's Kyler Fackrell hanging out on the backside of the play, continuing his responsibilities with Wilson. Blew up the play there. Lockett ended up running for like just two yards or something like that, but a heady, heady play by Fackrell there, and cool to see. It's been interesting to see him become the sort of player that he is. Is he good? I don't know, but he's producing a lot of great stats for the Packers uh, towards the the latter half of the season here. So uh, I guess for right now, he is good. What happens next for the Packers? Well, they've got this Sunday off, obviously. 
but then they play at Minnesota on Sunday Night Football on November 25th. Margin for error for the Packers pretty much zero from here on out. They need to go 6-0 and over their remaining six games to get to 10-5-1 and on the year. And 10-5-1 and may not even be good enough to get them into the playoffs. Starting such a run with a trip to Minnesota seems like a bit of a big ask, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. They ran the table two years ago with six wins in a row. Maybe they can do it again. We'll find out starting next Sunday. Until then, uh, we'll say goodbye for tonight. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Go Packers and continue to check out our work at thepowersweep.com and here on Blue 58. This has been Episode 127. I've been your host, John Meerdink. Have a great day. Blue 58!